0: You know I love to travel. It's not something that any of us have been able to do much recently, but uh, in in my role in in pastoring here at Calvary, I've had the privilege to travel to quite a few places over the years. Several missions trips, and uh, it, it's just it's kind of a thrill and a great privilege that I that I uh, that I treasure. One of the problems with traveling though is that if you're going to travel, you have to travel. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you can't just get somewhere you've got to do the process of getting there. And especially if you're doing something international, it usually means like a really long flight. There's usually a journey that's involved in it. And oftentimes, it's, it's part of the trip is you have to go over the ocean. That is my least favorite part. Anybody ever done a flight over the Atlantic or the Pacific? Like, you know what I'm talking about? I don't enjoy it at all. Like, like that's my least favorite part. Kind of just messes with my head a little bit. And I've learned over the years that I need to be thoughtful about what I'm thinking about during that time of the journey. One one time I was flying to South Africa and we were over the ocean for like over 12 hours. Like you're out there for just an extended period of time. And I decided to watch this kind of movie. It wasn't like a horror film, but it was all dark. You know, you have those little screens in front of you. And it was like dark and suspenseful. And when it was done, I was a wreck because there I am, I'm traveling and, and I've, I've put my mind on something that just got me kind of internally upset and shaken up through the conflict and the plot and everything that was in this movie. And afterwards, I was just kind of a wreck. And I realized it was a bad move for me to watch that movie when I was in such A a tenuous place, right? So on the way back, I decided to skip any movies like that, and I watched Finding Nemo instead. (laughs) Much, much better. Much, much better for that time. Here's what I learned. When you're on a journey, the things that you think about during the journey will affect the outcome and how you navigate the journey. So I don't think it's any surprise for me to tell you that as individuals, as a nation, we are in the midst of a journey right now. And we really will be for the next few weeks and months. So if you're in the middle of a journey, what should you be thinking about? Now, I pray about this. I say, God, if we have the opportunity to speak to people, what do you want us to speak about And tonight we're gonna, today we're going to start a brand new series to kind of talk about the season that we're in. And what I want to do during this season is just focus on Jesus. I want to put our minds and our thoughts on Jesus, because if there's anything we should be thinking about during this journey, don't you think it should be Jesus? So I've been thinking about the passage of Scripture where Paul is writing to the church in the city of Corinth. And when he's speaking to them, he says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse one. He says, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence, I did not come with human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you. And I think this is really important. He says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus. Isn't that a powerful thing for him to say? He says, I didn't wanna know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I've prayed about this series that we're jumping into, that God would use it, that as we focus on Jesus, he will allow the Spirit's power to do a work in our lives through his word. So this series that we're in, we're just calling I Am. And what we're going to look at over the course of these Next few weeks are some statements that Jesus makes about himself. Now these statements all come from the writings of the Apostle John, seven of them in the book, the Gospel of John, and then two of them from the book of Revelation. These are statements like when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, or I am the good shepherd, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says this multiple times about himself, where he speaks about himself and says, I am. So we're gonna look at one of these a week, We're gonna look at what Jesus says from his own mouth about himself and how it applies to our lives. And to get started, we're gonna look at the first one in the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter six. And before we get to the statement, I wanna give you the backstory. In fact, the reason Jesus even makes this statement is because of the backstory. It's because of the conversation, the, the, the experience he's been having with this crowd of people over the course of a couple of days, and we'll, we'll watch this unfold as we look at this story. As we go through John chapter 6, I want to show you why he says what he says. So let's start with the story. John chapter 6, verse 24. Here's what, here's what happened. Once the crowd, remember this crowd, they're key to this story. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, They got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So this crowd is looking for Jesus. They're trying to find him. He's not where they thought he should be. So they said, well, if he's not here, which was in the city of Tiberias, if he's not here, then he must have gone to Capernaum. So we're going to search for Jesus and try to find him. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? This is really important. You can see that these people are searching for Jesus. They're trying to find him. There's a reason they're coming to him. And this becomes really important for us. They're looking for him. They go to great lengths for this, which causes me to ask a question of myself and of you, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, why are you here? What brings you to this point where, whether it's you're here in this room today, or you're watching this online, or you're watching this on television, you've chosen, for some reason, to take one of your most valuable assets, your time and attention, and to focus here on this message right now. And my question is, what are you doing here? Why are you watching? Why, why are you caring at all? Like, what is it that you're looking for? See, this whole story in John chapter 6 is Jesus helping this crowd to understand what they should be looking for They've come from several miles away in the city of Tiberias. They've traveled north along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They've gotten to Capernaum, and they're looking for Jesus. And as they do this, they're hunting him down. You've got to ask the question why they're doing it. And in the process, Jesus kind of calls them out. And him calling them out will help us to think about and understand why we come to Jesus Over the course of the next 10 verses or so, Jesus is going to have a conversation that we're going to follow about why they're looking for Jesus. And some of the reasons that they go looking for Jesus are some of the same reasons that we go looking for Jesus. There's some of the reasons why maybe you go to church or you watch a church service or what is it that you're really seeking when you're looking for Jesus so let's look at the story and the conversation that Jesus has with this crowd. It starts out by them saying, hey, hey, where are you? What were you doing, what, why, how did you get here? We have to ask the question, what we're doing here? And Jesus says this, John chapter six, verse 26. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Remember that, we'll come back to that. And then in verse 27, he says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Let's go back to verse 26 real quick, because I want to show you a couple of words that are there that are really important to see in the verse just before this. He says that the reason you're here is not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves, And had your fill. What was the sign he's talking about? What's the loaves that he's talking about? When Jesus is talking to them here, he's talking to them about one of the most famous miracles in all the New Testament. It's the only miracle where we get it in all four of the Gospels. It's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Have you heard of that before? And this famous story that's in the scriptures is a miracle that happens prior to the conversation that Jesus is having with the crowd of people who were at, the miracle. Here's how the miracle happened. John chapter 6, verse 10, we read the story. It tells us in John chapter 6, verse 10, that all these people came out to hear Jesus teach. And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. In that day and time when they were taking attendance, they primarily would've counted the men in that culture. One of the Bible versions in the in different gospel says it was just 5,000 men, not including the women and children. So odds are there were many more than 5,000 people there. It could've been 10, 15,000, who knows how many people might've actually been there. Jesus then took the loaves, that they had a, a lunch that a small boy had had, five loaves and two fish. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, And distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And then the Bible tells us, When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. That's an amazing miracle, isn't it? You've got 5,000 plus people in Jesus with just five loaves of bread and two fish are able to feed all those people in that place. It's mind-blowing. And I'll tell you this. If I had been there, I probably would have tracked down Jesus afterwards too. Like, how'd you do that? And can you do it again? And what can you do with steak? Right, I'd be asking those questions because I'd want to know like, like, what happens in this. And what we see in this instance when Jesus calls them out and he says, look, you're here Because I fed you and you want more. You ever been invited over to somebody's house and the meal's incredible? And don't you think to yourself as you're walking out the door, how do I get another invitation? Right, because you have a meal like that, you go, hey, I'd like to have that meal again. And Jesus calls these people out. Here's one of the reasons you might come to Jesus. You might come to Jesus for what he can give you. Sometimes the reason we come to Jesus is because there's something we want from him. Look, it's very common. You say, I look to God because I have needs, and he can do anything, so he can meet my needs. Sometimes it's, I need some money, or I need a job, or I need a spouse, or I need a parking lot, or a spot. I need a good grade. When we need something, we're quick to come to Jesus. Why is that? Because Jesus is our provider. The Bible lets us know that, that he's the one who meets our needs, But Jesus was real clear with them here that what they are seeking will only take them so far. Remember, he says, you're coming back because I've fed you from the loaves and you had your fill and you want more. But watch what he says to him again in verse 27. He says to him, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. He says, look, you're coming after me because you want another quick meal. I'm telling you there's more to life for you Look, the reality is that if our relationship with Jesus is only need deep, if it's only because we want our needs met, it's not gonna last very long. We'll be quick to lose interest. At some point, we'll get our needs met or we'll be upset because our needs aren't met the way we want them to be. Or maybe we'll figure out a way where we can try to meet our own needs in some way. And Jesus may be our provider, but if Jesus is just our provider, we'll stop seeking when we think we have enough. Does that make sense? Like if all he is to you is just your provider, he's just there to meet your needs, when you think you have enough, you'll stop seeking him. When you've had your fill, you'll be easy to check out. See, our gifts are temporary, the giver is eternal. Our gifts are temporary, but the giver is eternal. So we need to look for the things that are eternal, because I don't know about you, but what I've found is the more that I seek for things, the more I realize how things change, and then the more dissatisfied I begin to be, because things are constantly changing, and what I think is cool one day is bound to change the next. I, I saw recently an article back in 1953, 67 years ago, a guy named Mark Sullivan, who was the director of Pacific Telephone and Telegram, made a prediction in what was then the Tacoma News Tribune. And he was, he was writing about telephones at that time. And here's what he said. This is 67 years ago. Just what form the telephone will take is, of course, pure speculation. Here is my prophecy. In its final development, the telephone will be carried by the individual, perhaps as we carry a watch today. Was that prophetic? It probably will require no dial or equivalent, and I think the users will be able to see each other. How's that sound? He goes he goes on to say that and this is this is interesting how he says it, who knows but what it may actually translate from one language to the other. Isn't that in process? It's interesting, this prophecy from 67 years ago, which really isn't a prophecy, it's just some guy thinking about technology, is what's happening to us. What was unthinkable then are things that we just kinda have in our hands today, and what it tells me is, at some point, what I'm longing for now, that's gonna get met, and I'm gonna get fickle, and I'm gonna want something else, and at that point, I'll get uncomfortable, and here's the deal, if I'm always after the next thing, at some point, I'm gonna get restless, I need to find my contentment in the one who meets my needs, not the needs that he gives to me. Does that make sense? Contentment is found when we focus on the giver and not on the gift. And so Jesus has to say to the crowd, look, you're only coming to me for what I can give to you. And that's that's not a good reason. Here's the next thing that he points out. John chapter six, verse 28. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Now, it's really interesting because Jesus is talking to them. He's showing them these things, and they misunderstand what he says. Like, he's saying he's gonna meet their needs. He's gonna help them to find things that will last. And instead, they come off saying, well, what do we have to do? Like, Like, how do we fix this? Jesus, we're looking to you to be the one to help us to fix this, and you're missing the whole point. If you're looking for Jesus to just help you fix something, you've missed who he's come to be. See, you might come to Jesus for what he can fix for you. That's a lot of people I know. Let's just be honest, that's me sometimes. Like the whole reason that I come to Jesus is to be in a place where somehow he can fix what isn't right in my life. And that's just natural for us because when we have a crisis, it moves us to respond. Crisis creates hunger, right? A hunger to fix that thing. A hunger to make it right. That's why oftentimes I can ignore maintenance on my car. But when it breaks down, that crisis forces me to call the mechanic I can ignore that annual physical or what's going on in my health or the way that I eat or exercise, but when something's not right, that crisis may force me to then call the doctor or change my ways. See, crisis creates hunger, and when things aren't right, that's often when we come to Jesus. We say to him, hey, can you help me fix this now? If Jesus is just our fixer, we will stop seeking when things don't seem so broken, and this is really important. If all he is to you is just your fixer, then at some point you'll stop looking to him to meet your needs, to be the one to help you. Like as a pastor, I I see this all the time where somebody's real quick to say, Jesus, I need your help right now. I need you to fix my sadness, my marriage, my family, my relationship, my job issue, my loneliness, my desperation, like I need you to fix this And then when when maybe the crisis kind of subsides or when when things aren't so broken, we kind of stop seeking him and making him an important part of our lives. Here's the distinction that's good for you to know. Jesus is our savior and not our fixer. He didn't come to just fix us. He came to save us. He came to give us life and forgiveness and hope and peace and joy. That's the whole point of who he is. He's our savior, not just our fixer. But what happens is we confuse those two terms and a lot of times we say he's our savior, but what we really mean is he's our fixer. Like, like we still want him to just fix things in our lives. Here's what it looks like. We may want Jesus to be our self-help savior. Like we may want him to be the one who comes in and is our self-help savior, kind of like a life coach or like that self-help guru, that, that, those YouTube videos or that, that book you read because it's gonna help you to be smarter or better looking or, or whatever it might be, Right? You, you want to get better in those things and we think of Jesus in that same way. Now look, there's, there's nothing wrong with you wanting to improve yourself. There's nothing with you wanting to get better but if all Jesus is is a step in that direction for you, you're missing the point of what he came to do. I mean, I watch people do this all the time They think, if I can just fix this part of my life, then God will love me more, or people will love me more. It's it's common for us to do. If you're a parent, you've probably seen your child do this at some point, especially little kids. They'll think about, well, if I do this, then maybe my mom or my dad will love me more. And if I do that, they'll probably stop loving me. And we begin to think that the love in our lives is based on what we do. We start to think that the love in our lives is conditional. And little kids, you'll watch them sometimes, they they try to work and earn their parents' love. And for some of us, it's something we're still trying to do. But the reality is, if you talk about Jesus as a savior, salvation is not what we do, but who he is. Salvation is not what we do, but what he did for us. It's what Jesus did that brings us salvation not what we do on our own. And it's also key to know that salvation is not who we are, but who he is. See, our salvation isn't based on the things that we do or how we respond, it's based on who he is. And this is important for a lot of us, especially if we've come from a faith tradition where we feel like we have to work to earn God's love, or if somehow in our minds we think we've gotta struggle to be good enough. See, following Jesus is not a matter of doing, but of receiving grace and becoming more like Jesus. It's not a matter of what we do, but of receiving his grace that we've not earned or deserved and then becoming more like Jesus in our lives and focusing more on him. So it may be we need to be careful that we we say he's our savior, but we really just want him to fix us. He's he's our self-help savior. Or, and and here's here's another thought that maybe we need to think about for a moment. (laughs) When we talk about Jesus as our fixer, What we oftentimes will want is we may want Jesus to be our political savior. We may want Jesus to be our political savior. Now look, I I thought through this whole series and I wanted to focus on Jesus in part, can I just be honest with you as a pastor? Because I didn't want to talk about politics. Right in this season, I was like, I want to steer clear of that topic. Like I really don't want to talk about all the political stuff that's going on. And then I get into John chapter six. I want to show you what happens here in John chapter 6. What we see in this text, which is really interesting. You might not know this unless you kind of read through the whole thing. When Jesus performs the feeding of the 5,000, when he performs this miracle, at the end of it, the people kind of get all riled up because of what they just saw. And watch this. John chapter 6, verse 14, it says, After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. They say this has to be the one who's the Messiah. This has to be the one who's gonna rescue us. And they thought that the Messiah would be someone who would come and be a political leader, that he would be someone who would come and set them free from the oppressive powers that were over them. They were looking to come and make him their political ruler. And watch what Jesus does. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king, right? Were they gonna make him their political fixer? by force, they're gonna make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. They decided to make him their political fixer and Jesus went and hid. He's like, nah, I ain't doing that. And here's part of the reason why. John chapter 6, verse four, at the beginning of this story, it says, the Jewish Passover festival was near. That verse is really important for a couple of reasons. One, this is just before the story of the feeding of the 5,000, right? One, it tells us kinda when it happened, if you're looking to make a chronology of the life of Jesus. But two, it tells us why they wanted to make him king. See, when they were in the midst of their Jewish Passover festival, like some of our different seasons, kind of like the 4th of July, it was when they celebrated their independence, their freedom, their their exodus, right? Their their escape from captivity, their, their change in freedom in a nation. But it was also a time when their national kinda patriotism, when their national fervor was at a fever pitch, kinda like it is for us every four years in the fall, true? And so during this season of time, people were incredibly politically motivated, and so when they saw Jesus, their initial response was, he is going to fix this for us. Now look, in a season of national fervor, Jesus decides, I'm gonna go hide in the mountains rather than become their political fixer. Here's what we learn from that. Here's the reminder. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom and not just an earthly nation. Like as the followers of Jesus Christ, our allegiance, Paul says in Philippians 4, our citizenship is in heaven. Why does this matter? Let me encourage you with this. I must do my part to build a God-honoring earthly nation. And so this is especially true right now in this season of time. I wanna encourage you to do your part to build a God-honoring, earthly nation. So I hope you are praying for our nation. Like 1 Timothy 2 says, pray for our leaders, especially during this season of time. And if you feel led to get involved in some way in, in in political activity, if you feel led to get involved some way in running for office or something, you do that. You be a part of that. And I want to challenge you, and I think this is really important: that you make plans to vote, that you. Hold on to that stewardship we've been given as citizens and that you do your part to build a God-honoring earthly nation that you pray about, that you look at what the Bible says about the different issues and the different things that are out there and then you get involved in that way. But in all of that, you remember that I must do my part to build a God-honoring nation, but my allegiance is to a higher king and kingdom. Amen? Like sometimes in these political seasons, we start to feel restless as followers of Jesus. I think sometimes we start to feel homeless as followers of Jesus. And that's because ultimately our hope is in a different kingdom. Our our trust is in a different king. And so Jesus says to them, look, you, you want me to just fix things for you, but my plan is so much greater than that. Watch what he says next then. John chapter 6, verse 30, this is the next thing we see. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They said to Jesus, all right, look, if, 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 if you're not just going to meet our needs and you're not just gonna fix things for us, what are you gonna do to prove that you're somebody that we should pay attention to? They're like, what sign then are you gonna give us? And the sign that they mention is the manna that was given to the children of Israel. If you know the story, when Moses led them out of Egypt and they were in the wilderness, God fed them with this bread from heaven. And the zealots in that time, the kind of real intensely um, kind of people that were were looking for that Messiah to come, they actually believed that the manna was gonna show up again, that God was gonna provide that bread from heaven again. And they are saying, Jesus, what are you gonna do for us? Like, not just what are you gonna give us, but, but how are you gonna show us your power? How are you gonna prove that you are who you say you are? And the reality is, you might come to Jesus for what he can do for you. or you just go, you know, I've been thinking about this Jesus thing. And actually, I'm willing to kinda of take steps towards him because of what it might do for me in some way or another. Like we're looking for a miracle, or we're looking for a sign, or we need direction, or we want some kind of emotional response from him. And sometimes we come to Jesus simply for what he can do for us. My, my journey here at Calvary was our family moved here in 1998 to be uh, the children's pastors here at the church. And then six years later, we had a transition where our senior pastor was elected to a, a state role of leadership. And during that season of time, then uh, Ron and I were privileged to step into the role that we're in now as Calvary's lead pastor. And I can remember that that morning, like when, when, the, when the vote happened, like the, the church voted we were elected as Calvary's pastor. And I can remember standing on the the platform in our old building on Glendale and I can remember standing there and as soon as it was over, like like my life had changed, I went from Calvary's children's pastor now to Calvary's lead pastor. And I remember that there was somebody who as soon as that service was over, they hunted me down. They hugged me and they told me how much they loved me. And they said, we're gonna have you over to the house real soon, like it was all those things. And they walked away and I went, I've been the children's pastor here for six years and you never even looked me in the eye. And then all of a sudden I get a new job and we're best friends. And I realized that the reason they were coming to me was not because they cared about me. The reason they were coming to me was because they cared about themselves. Does that make sense? Why did they come to me? They came to me because of something they thought I could do for them. And I remember I wasn't honored by that. I was actually insulted by that. Like, because I knew it wasn't genuine. So how often do we do that to God? Like, we're quick to come to him, but the reason we come is because we we think we need something from him. And look, here's the reality. Jesus is our miracle worker. Like they were saying to Jesus, we want you to work more miracles for us. Show us what else you can do with with bread and fish. They were looking for a sign. But I'll tell you this, if Jesus is just our miracle worker, we will stop seeking when we get bored. (laughs) Like when the show's not as fun or when things aren't as spectacular. And here's what Jesus says to them. John chapter six, verse 32. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, It's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they say this to him, verse 34, Sir, they said, Always give us this bread. Now, I want, to watch, uh, I, want, I want you to watch the progression with me, right? Because at first they said, Jesus, we're here for what you, what, what you can give us. They wanted that, that more food. And he said, man, that's not the reason. I'm not just your provider. And then they show up to him and they say, well, what can we do to fix these things? And he says, look, I'm not just your fixer. And then they say, yeah, but we wanna see what, we can, what, what you can do for us. And he says, look, I'm not just your miracle worker. And he makes it very clear to them. Here's the statement, verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Like he brings it in and he says, I'm not just here to do things for you. I'm everything for you. Like when he talks about this idea of bread, he's talking about everything that sustains them, everything that gives them life, everything that gives life meaning, everything that brings purpose to life. He says, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me will never go hungry, he says, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He says, I am the bread of life. And here's what we need to learn from this. So many times we come to Jesus for what he can do for us, what he can give to us, what he can fix for us. We need to stop following Jesus for something and start following him because of something. Not just for something, not just what he can do for us, but because of who he is. We must come to Jesus because of who he is. He is the source. He is the one we look to. He is the one we find our hope in. He is Jesus. He is the bread of life. Here's what he says. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1. He says, come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come. Buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. He goes on to say... In this passage, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. He says, yes, if you will come to me, you will find all that you need, but not because of what you need, but because of who I am. Like if we could start following Jesus, looking to Jesus, believing in him for who he is and accept his goodness in our lives. Some of us, I I think we're, we're hesitant to, truly submit ourselves to Jesus because we're not so sure that he's good. We're not so sure that we can trust him. And this passage of scripture reminds us that he is good and that he is ready to bless us, but not because of what we need, but because of who he is. And I say this because for most of us, your hunger is deeper than you even realize. Like there's something that you're longing for in your life. And Jesus had to help these people 2,000 years ago and I think he needs to help us now today as well to realize it's not because of what he can do and it's not because of what he can fix and it's not because of what he can give to us but because he is Jesus, the son of God, the bread of life that we find in him everything that we need. In every one of us there is a hunger that is only satisfied when we give ourselves to him. And I say this Because I think so many of us are missing out on truly knowing a life-giving relationship with Jesus because we keep reaching for what we can get from him instead of experiencing who he really is. Like that passage in Isaiah 55, he says, come to me. He invites us to come to him because he wants us to enter into relationship, to enter into fellowship with him. And when we do, we can so truly know him. But if all he is to us is a fix, if all he is to us is what we can get, we will miss out on truly knowing who he is. I say this because I can't help but think that for some of us, we don't need this reminder Because we've been running, we've been trying to fix it and find it on our own, and if we're not careful, we'll miss out on what a relationship with Jesus is truly all about. I think of a story that I read about a young Australian teen named Keith Sapsford. It goes back to the year 1970. Keith was 14 and uh, was just kind of a restless teenager, lived in the nation of Australia, And his parents decided that that they needed to do something to help him. He was so focused on himself. He was so focused on kind of meeting his own needs and he was just so restless that they decided it would be good for Keith to get kind of a fresh start. And so his parents decided the best thing would be to put him in a boarding school, kind of give him a chance to start over. So they put Keith into this boarding school and he wasn't there very long where he decided this is not for me. And so he ran away. He just kind of took off. And after several days and didn't know where he was, they're trying to find him and Keith just kind of is running away. And after several days, he finds himself at the airport in Sydney and he decides that he's gonna sneak onto a jet and get as far away as he can from where he was in Australia. And so he finds this jet to Tokyo and instead of getting a seat on the inside of the plane, he crawls up inside the wheel well on the outside of the plane. He's a stowaway inside of there. He had to be in there for several hours before the plane finally takes off. And when it did, what Keith didn't realize is that when that plane would take off, in order for the wheels to retract back up inside the plane, those doors would open. And when the doors opened at 200 feet, Keith fell out, and that was the end of his life. He knew that he wanted to be somewhere on this journey, He just was so desperate to do it that he had tried to fix it on his own and in the end, it cost him his life. And it causes me to think of so many of us who Jesus, with open arms, says, just come to me, just believe in me, trust in me, I'm the bread of life, I will satisfy every hunger that you have, but instead of submitting ourselves to him, we'll look to him for what we can get or for what he can do or for what he can fix, and instead we miss out on the life that can be found if we will just be willing to just come to him and surrender our life to him. So I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment, whether you're in this room or you're watching this on a screen somewhere. And I'm just going to ask you a simple question. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Not for what he can do for you, but because of who he is. said, Jesus, I give my life to you. Jesus, I entrust my life to you. More than anything else that I need, more than anything that you can do, I give myself to you. And in this moment, I'm just gonna invite you that if you know that Jesus is your savior and your Lord, that you've entrusted your life to him, or maybe if in this moment, you know that you need to do that, whether you're in this room or you're watching this on a screen somewhere, if today you would say, Jesus, I need to surrender my life to you. I can't do it on my own anymore. I'll just invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's real simple. You can just repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for my sin. I ask today that you would forgive my sins and be my Savior. I give my life to you, my risen Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Look, if you prayed that prayer, especially for the first time, there's going to be a link in the comments or you can go out to our website and there's a spot that you can click that just talks about Jesus. And we would love to share more with you what it means to follow him and to surrender your life to him. I'm going to ask you to join with our worship team in these next couple of moments. And we're going to sing a song together that we sang earlier in this service that talks about the goodness of God. Because I want you to believe that it's in God's goodness, it's in who he is, that you can find purpose and meaning. And I love a line in this song that says, with my life laid down, I surrender now, I give you everything. As we sing this song, would you take this moment and surrender your everything completely to him? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it speaks to us. We pray and believe that as we sing this song, you're gonna use these words. We're gonna make this our prayer. We surrender everything to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's
1: sing it together. Your goodness is running after It's running after me. Your goodness is running after It's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrendered. now. Aqui because of what you've done for us, because who you are to us. As Father, as Savior and friend, for calling us sons and daughters, even honestly when we probably didn't deserve it. So God, we come to you, we run to you, simply for who you are. We give you honor, and we give you glory, and we give you the highest praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.